He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, August 13, 2022. Episode 109 is fantastic. It starts with Adam Frisch. He's a fresh candidate for Congress in CD3 against Lauren Boebert. I am making the prediction right now, and I tell it to Adam in a great interview He is going to win. Why? Because Donald Trump is collapsing, collapsing right on top of Lauren Boebert, and I could not be happier. It's a scary time when a president's guilty of espionage, and I think he is. He's capable of anything. Our troubadour, Dave Gunders, has the perfect song for Donald Trump as the Mar-a-Lago search warrant was executed. Regrets. Does Donald Trump have regrets about taking that property, not returning it, despite them asking for it, coming to get it? Then a subpoena. They ignored subpoenas in MAGA world. Service of process. It makes no difference. They don't care about the rule of law. And now they are complaining against the FBI. It's dangerous times. And Lauren Boebert's a big part of the problem, which brings us back to Adam Frisch and right-wing media. I talk about my old friend Jesse Waters uh, with our troubadour toward the end of the show and his song, Regrets. But before that, we have a segment of right-wing media watch that I just had to play for you because my old radio partner, Dan Kaplis, went nuts on a caller I can understand the pressure building, backing Donald Trump, backing Donald Trump despite the fact that he's a criminal, soon to be exposed. It's not good for the Republican Party and the Republican stalwarts on Denver Trump Radio. Dan will move away. And Dan is not guilty of any crime, but my goodness, on Wednesday, what he did to a caller, the words he said, misinforming the public that taking the Fifth Amendment is okay if you don't like the lawyer on the other side? Come on. It's a powerful position to talk to people in their car as they drive around. And I had that privilege with Dan, and I guess I'm responding now. I invited him on, but he would not talk about Kyle Clark. And Dan taught me we don't play that way. We have to have an interview without ground rules. Come on now. We can talk about this, but Dan had trouble talking with the caller named Mike, and you will hear it in a segment we call Right Wing Media Watch after the tremendous interview with the next congressperson from Colorado's 3rd Congressional District, his name, the Democratic nominee, although he's really unaffiliated, Adam Frisch, after this short commercial break from my friend Michael Bailey. 
gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. I am Craig. Craig Silverman. A voice for victims. Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Good to see you, sir. Yeah, nice to see you as well. Hopefully we have a chance to meet in person. Are you still down in Denver? or I am just outside of Denver. I ran for Denver DA in 1996 against a guy named Bill Ritter. And huh. when I lost, I moved just a smidgen out of Denver. I just moved my law practice a smidgen out of Denver. But I'm a native Denverite. Fourth generation, but enough about me. You're the guy with the fascinating life. Well, I don't know about that. It's a fascinating time, that's for sure. But no, there's. I realize as I start to talk about me, which I hate to do, um, it's a little bit more eclectic than a lot of people out there, I guess. So, but we can get into that. However, you want to start. It definitely is. I went to Montana to see my son. He's been living there for a bit. You were raised. For a short time in Montana, that gets my interest right away. Yeah. Um, I was born in the town of Williston, North Dakota, which has a little bit of um, infamy in it as being the, you know, kind of the epicenter of the fracking Bakken oil shale field. Uh, but my parents were living in Wolf Point, Montana on the Fort Peck Indian Reservation. My Both my parents are from northern Minnesota. We can get into that in a little bit. But my dad was in the public health service in the late 60s. I was born in 67. I'm 54 and lived there for the first five years and ended up moving back to Minneapolis. Um, my parents met there at the University of Minnesota. They were the both the first two people. In, they were the, both the first people in their families to go to college. And I grew up in Minneapolis from kindergarten through high school the first five years, uh, my elementary school was out. My mom was super involved with integrating the Minneapolis public school system. So my mom and some other parents petitioned the superintendent of Minneapolis at the time, 
this would be in the mid seventies to, you know, bus the upper middle class kids into the kind of the worst parts of Minneapolis to make sure there was an integrated school system. And so I think pretty much kindergarten through fifth grade, it was about 20 or 30% white. And the rest of it was a mixture of African-American, Latino and Native American. Um, yeah. So no, I mean, I, I, it was, a, it was an interesting childhood. Luckily I was loved by two parents, which was a huge, which is a huge help. Well, let's and talk about them. What are their names? Are they still living? Yeah, yeah. No, they're both eight years old. They're playing. My dad plays a lot of pickleball. My mom has been riding horses for 75 of her 79 years. She grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. Her grandfather came over from Europe and started a cattle trading business that turned into a feed store, farm supply, and a grain elevator business in northern Minnesota outside of Duluth that my cousin runs now. So it's the fourth generation owner operator of MJ Wittis uh, Inc. And they take care of a lot of the farmers and ranchers within hundreds of miles in a, in a radius up in Northern Minnesota. My dad's father came over from Europe with two of his brothers and they opened up a little grocery store, Frisch's Market in Virginia, Minnesota. And Virginia, Minnesota is the capital of the Iron Range. Um, and that's where a lot of this taconite and iron ore came from, dug out of a mining out of the ground and ended up on a train to Duluth, Minnesota, where it ended entered the Great Lakes. And all that taconite and iron ore ended up in Detroit and Pittsburgh for obvious reasons for steel use. So I actually, outside of some, you know, my time here in the mountains of Colorado and the Western Slope, I have some pretty good and sincere rural roots and mining roots. Yes, you do. What a fascinating story. I was off. Uh, it's more a Minnesota story than a Montana story. That's fascinating. And yeah, I always think Minneapolis has a lot of similarities to Denver, but you're not running to represent Denver. You're representing the biggest geographical part of Colorado, CD3. Tell, yeah. tell uh, you, I don't want to short shrift your, your background because it's so diverse. Your business took you to about 50 countries. You were so well-traveled. Tell us your journey. You had these tremendous parents. You had a Minnesota, Minneapolis public school education. What did you do after that? So I grew up, uh, you know, I, I grew up ski racing, actually, in Minneapolis, which is kind of how I started coming out to Colorado. I remember coming uh, to the the front range and some of those ski areas, we loaded up the station wagon, if people remember what a station wagon was, uh, and drove out uh, overnight or spent the night somewhere in Nebraska. My whole family grew up skiing a little bit, which was great. I have three younger sisters. Um, and I knew that at some point I would love to go to school in Colorado. I grew up ski racing, ended up going out to CU Boulder to race. I ended up getting hurt out there uh, my freshman year before the snow fell. But Loved the school so much, loved the community so much and the state so much, you know. So this was in 1986 through 90. I think Denver was actually in a little bit of a, of a downturn because I think that was when some of the oil prices were fairly low. Oil and gas prices were fairly low compared to the rest of the country that was kind of in a little bit of an economic boom at the time. I remember it well. Oil. Yeah, we, we had a bit yeah. of a crime wave, no doubt about it. Can I just back up to one thing you said about your mom and busing yeah. in Minneapolis? So yeah. she was an advocate for it? I mean, we went through yeah. it in Denver. I, I, I experienced it myself in the Keys opinion. A Supreme Court case came out of Denver, and 
your side even came up between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and but your mom took a position on that. I just wanted to understand. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it was it was more about integrating, um, you know, try, try to integrate the community of of Minneapolis right. and mix it up. Um, and and you know, it was it was a humbling experience. I remember it well. I had some great friends. I had great friends from there. Great teachers. Uh, it was great to be in a diverse community. I had no idea how diverse it was until a little bit later on in life. You know, I was there. This was in second, third, fourth grade. But it certainly instilled some values in me about making sure that, you know, it's important to realize, at least for me, and as I install my kids, how lucky it is, how where, where people are born, um, not so much what zip code, but what type of family structure they're in. And, you know, I, I think having a cohesive family structure uh, is a huge help in so many different ways, uh, in so many ways to build relationships and the level of maturity and education that people are are able to get. And, you know, I, I, it's humble to me. I, I remember to myself saying a lot, you know, I'm, if I did, wasn't born into a, such a, a, a sound family, again, both my parents grew up in middle-class families. They went to college, put a lot of focus on education um, and it worked out well. And uh, I was lucky to, to be able to go to University of Colorado and Boulder. And, and then I ended up moving out to New York City soon after that for a little bit of time. Now, your parents, where do they live now and play pickleball? I don't, I, I'm yeah, just so betting my, they're not in Minnesota anymore. No, they're, my parents are, are up on Lake Vermilion for about four or five months a year, okay. uh, which which is up on the Iron Range of northern Minnesota. They still go back there. And and then the rest of the time, they're outside of Tucson in the horse country. Um, and my mom's still, you know, my mom's um, not quite 80, but she still rides horses fairly often. And my dad just turned 80. And um, he's more on the pickleball, the pickleball lifestyle. That's and tremendous. So, so yeah. Brent, yeah, bring us to speed because how did you become so successful? Was it the combination of CU, New York City, great parents, and what financial acumen? Well, what did you study at CU? I studied economics and political science. Um, my wife doesn't like to have me mention this, but the business school was too far away from where I was living when I was a freshman, and the economics department was across the street. Um, no, I studied economics because I wanted to make sure that I stayed in the arts and sciences um, school. As much as they they have a good business school there, I really wanted to have a more diverse uh, academic learning experience, studying economics and some things in political science and English and, and history. And I'm interested in that as well. A friend of mine was chasing a girl that I grew up with. The friend of mine was I grew up with was chasing a girl to New York City and uh, I was told at some point, the only time you move to New York City is young, dumb, or rich. And so I had two really covered well. And so I moved out to New York City. I started waiting tables. Nobody wanted to hire anybody who came from the University of Colorado. They were stuck in f interviewing and, and hiring people that came from these 10 fancy schools that we all know, Harvard and Yale and Princeton and all that stuff. Um, and the only people that knew Colorado was pretty much that's where they went to ski uh, on their vacation from the East Coast. But I, I enjoyed the big city. It was fun for a while. I knew at some point I was going to leave. Um, but I ended up starting waiting tables for a while. And then I fell into working on one of the socially, one of the very first socially responsible investing funds. It um, it was a, worked for a money manager. I worked on the 100th floor of the World Trade Center. And I'm not sure if people remember, but in Fe end of February of 1993, when I was on the 100th floor of the World Trade Center, there was a truck bomb explosion, a terrorist attack uh, that happened. The World Trade Center used to have its parking garage in the basement. And I remember working up there on a Friday afternoon, and all of a sudden, 
there was a loud explosion and 30 seconds later there was smoke up in our in our stairwell um this was on a friday afternoon and um they had told us that it was some type of transformer that had gone haywire as part of the commuter train between new york and new jersey and we got stuck on the roof which i think is on the 107th floor outside of uh two world trade center which sadly is not there anymore uh, but after a couple hours, they let us walk down and walked down 100 flights of stairs and through a bunch of suit. And it wasn't until we came out on the ground floor that we realized it was a, uh, a terrorist attack. So um, I felt pretty lucky to get out of there unharmed. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely a little bit of loss of life there. Nothing would happen. I think it was seven or eight blind sheik was convicted yeah. for being the mastermind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, that was kind of one of the big warning signs of of what was to come, you know, across the country and world for that. So, which is sad, but and then I ended up working where I ended up traveling a lot. I ended up getting involved in the international um, interest rate uh, environment markets and was involved in and in doing some currency trading. But the interesting part of that, I was really focused on the fo- on the futures market of uh, currencies and. Having there's a lot to be said about what the farmers and ranchers are going through that are trading cattle. Uh, as you know, as you probably know, the price of cattle, a uh, price of beef trades, as as does a lot of these commodities and ag business as well. And so, I've had a lot of long, a lot of conversations with people in the San Luis Valley and on the Western Slope about what it is to, you know, have uh, a lot of your value of your livelihood be based on kind of the, what happens in the markets. Uh, and trying to figure out how to hedge those and protect that and making sure, you know, then all of a sudden the whole weather conversations come in over the past 10 years with everything that's happened with the climate crisis. So, um, you know, there's there's some connections there that aren't too stretched out to to understand what I'm talking to farmers and ranchers about. I'm trying to understand what you did for a living because I understand like sports wagering and trying to get a better line yeah. of hair versus another one. Is that what you do with interest rates? You kind of say, yeah, so, I, mean, I can I, borrow I was, money here, pay it back at a lower rate there, and you make yeah. money. What is that I, I, called? The, arbitrage? Is that what yeah, you're the doing? Simple, the simple way of looking at it is I was trying to buy a four-cent nickel and sell it for six cents. Right. Uh, and there are 200 types of nickels in the world. And I worked on the 190 small ones. I spent a lot of time um, traveling to and being aware of what goes on in Asia and Africa and the Middle East. And my main focus was actually on China and Taiwan and Korea and the Philippines and India. And so the whole China, Taiwan, China, Hong Kong has been, you know, for about a decade, almost it floated around my head literally 24 seven because the currency markets um, open up on Sunday afternoon and don't close until Friday at five o'clock in New York. So what is your wheelhouse? Are you good at math, percentages, that sort of thing? You do it fast in your head or what? Yeah, no, I mean, some of it is math and some of it is try to figure out how political events affect economies, including the United States. You know, I was paid fairly well to know what's going on in the world. And that was an interesting aspect of it. You know, I was paid to read newspapers um, and be online and know what's happening and have meetings with government officers and and people here in the United States and over in Asia and, and really dive into what goes on and have a pretty good grasp of, you know, what causes inflation and how interest rates move. And 
I think there are some important things that I can bring to this conversation a little bit that's somewhat real, relevant, not completely relevant, but I certainly will say I have a strong business background. Um, but you must have, your employer must have thought you have tremendous people skills. Why else would they pay for you to go around the world to meet all these people in person? Is it something about you that you can charm the heck out of people? No, I'm not sure about charming. I would say this, you know, I'm fairly good at math. But my my focus is I do get along with people. I've always gotten along with people. And I seem to have a pretty good aptitude of getting along with people from different cultures. And whether that is rural and urban or whether that is Asian um, or Latin American or or more or American, um, I think I have a pretty good grasp of being taken as a sincere person. And it's the one thing I hate to be called, it would be called insincere. It doesn't happen. Um, but I'm a real big believer in sincerity that what I say is what I believe. And what I believe is what I'm happy to say. And sometimes it's important to stand up. Uh, and this is one of those times. I agree with that 100%. I, I sort of talked over you when I asked what your wheelhouse is. How would yeah. you express it? You know, I, I think I, I get along with people, Craig, and I'm proud of that. And while that might sound a little superficial, I think pers personnel skills to be able to get along with people that don't always see eye to eye is, is really, really important. I am incredibly humble that there are a lot of different opinions out there, and I certainly don't always have the right answer. But I've learned to be a good listener um, and accept people that I don't always agree with, whether it has to do with religion or politics or culture or who's the best baseball player or who's the best football player. It really has to go down with just treating people with respect and asking people to be to treat me with respect as well and being open-minded and having some humility. And, you know, that's missing in our culture. That's missing in a lot of our media. And it's certainly missing in our conversations at the policy level. Well, I was hoping to like you and I do. I mean, your family okay. story is similar to a lot of immigrant yeah. families that come here, exactly. peddlers at one generation, next generation goes to college. And what do you know? You have a kid who hits it big in, what would you say, international finance? And then. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I would, uh, that's fair to say. Uh, you know, we've, I've done a bunch of stuff in the Western Slope in the small business. Um, everything from, I, I, I've had some success in the home construction real estate business. Uh, we had I had a little success and a little bit of failure trying to launch an RV park and campground business. We wanted to do that on a national level. Um, you know, there's all these national hotel chains around and there are very, very few national RV park and campgrounds, but our family's huge campers. We spent a lot of time uh, in the western part of Colorado and the southern part of Colorado hiking and fishing and exploring. Um, and I have some friends in the hotel industry and I thought it would be kind of fun to kind of Put those things together in what I call the outdoor hospitality industry. Um, but unfortunately, we we partnered with the wrong people. And it was a big lesson I learned, and it cost us a fair bit of money um, to, to learn the hard lesson uh, that it's really important to find someone that you can trust to partner with in business as well as in life. Oh, no. So some of your international business winnings went away, but I hope not too much. And we, yeah, I, I, I know you don't have all the time in the world. And I read a great Denver Post profile by Conrad Swenson. At least I thought yeah. it was interesting. I learned a lot of stuff. 
um, including that you not only had that 1993 World Trade Center experience, but you were there on 9-11 and at Boston, too, the Boston Marathon bombing by the Tsarnaev brothers? Yeah, so... um, uh before campaign life, I used to be a, a little bit of a runner on the road and up in our beautiful trails of Colorado. But I uh, I qualified for the Boston Marathon from Chicago, and I about ten minutes after finishing the the race in Boston, I went out for um, some food to fuel back up, and all of a sudden there was a huge explosion. As I was sitting down with my wife Katie at the lunch counter. And uh, all of a sudden the sirens went on and we learned out that I had, you know, missed the, and I was supposed to meet some friends at the finish line for a beer after, but I wanted to get some food first. And so I got a little lucky there. Unfortunately, you know, a handful of people died there as well. Um, and, you know, that was certainly a, a lesson of luck as well. 9-11, I was working in Midtown, which was a couple, which is a couple miles away from where the World Trade Center stood. But I had worked, as I mentioned before, I worked in two World Trade Center for about three years, and I worked in Seven World Trade Center for four years. Uh, and Seven World Trade Center was the newer building that that collapsed um, around five o'clock on that fateful day on on 9-11. And went to um, way too many funerals, um, kind of in the 0102 period. And that's when I figured out it's time to do some pausing and reflecting and loaded up my beat up old Ford and drove out to Colorado to see some friends and get some hugs and ended up deciding, ended up meeting uh, this gal, Katie, on the Western Slope in Vail. And I said that if we want to make a go of it in, in a mountain town, that we should look at possibly going to Aspen because of the business opportunities and the chance to build community. And uh, we got married in 03 and moved here in the fall of 03. And we've been in on the Western Slope uh, since 2001 and been in Aspen since 2003. We have a 15-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old son. Um, and, you know, we've been fortunate. We've worked really, really hard. Katie's had a lot of success on her own through her business um, acumen as well. And we're super excited to be here. Katie, um, I, you know, I spent eight years on the city council up here of Aspen. I ran mostly to focus on affordable housing. And it was interesting, Craig, until about three years ago, the affordable housing question was really something that was focused on a couple of these higher-end resort communities, and that was about it. And it's certainly been humble as I drive around thousands and thousands of miles through the district to realize that, you know, everywhere from Pueblo to Grand Junction to Walsenburg to Alamosa are, are dealing with affordable housing issues. Um and I got off city council in 2019, and my wife's now the president of our school board up here. And we're both fully um, invested in and making sure that there's good education opportunities for everybody, regardless of their their family status. Well, here's the thing. I think that you have a great opportunity. We're talking on yep. Friday afternoon as President Trump's House of Cards is about to collapse. And it could collapse on your opponent, Lauren Boebert. We will get to her. But before we get to her, let's talk about the person to whom she genuflects. Because I have two kids, 23 and 19. One of them better find that business school at CU this year. Um, He's going. But I'm worried about them. And it's part of the motivation for this podcast and for a lot of my columns in the Colorado Sun. I think we are in a very difficult situation, and as a parent, 
I can't just sit by and let this go on without me speaking up. But you've taken the extraordinary step of running for Congress. Was this part of your plan like five or 10 years ago? No, 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 no. Um, I've always stood up and had leadership roles, you know, you know, club president, student president, captain of the sports team. I actually did run for and I served on student council in the University of Colorado. It's actually the second largest um, student union in the country, I think, after Berkeley. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I think I'm a, a level-headed thinker. I'm willing to put my neck on the line. I don't mind being publicly ridiculed. I have two teenagers that have trained me well for this next venture I'm in here. And, I, you know, I have strong beliefs, um, and some of those strong beliefs are listening well and, and trying to bring that to the table. And I saw that there was um, a spot at the city council level for people that might have a little bit more focus on the small business community and what they go through and having people up there that have had life experiences with marriage and children and, and working in really big organizations. And I think that's been helpful um, back in November, and don't ask me what she said, but um, our current representative said something bigoted, racist, racist, kind of mean and petty. Um, you know, there's a long list of them. And I said, oh, my goodness, um, something needs to be done. And the first thing I did that I was surprised to learn, Craig, was I pulled out the data from 2020 and saw that she only won 51% of the vote. She won 51 to 46 percent uh, um, against the former Democratic candidate. And I looked at the numbers, and if 5% of the people would have switched their vote in 2020, she would have lost. Um, and then I looked at Marjorie Taylor Greene, who won 75% of the vote, not 51% of the vote. And then I looked at Matt Gates and Jim Jordan and Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar, probably kind of like the all-star of the right-wing extremists. And listen, there are some... Um, I would say there's some people on the left, while they certainly believe in democracy and the rule of law, they have some policies that I don't agree with on the far left of the Democratic side, but even they won between 68 and 88% of the winning. And so if you look at all these extremists and you overlap with the people that are weak, Bobart singularly stands alone as an extremist who's not focused on her district that's actually electorally weak. Usually the only way you can become an extremist is if you can capture a huge percentage of whatever group you are theoretically representing. And that gives you the leeway to kind of just go fringe. And Lauren Bobart has gone fringe and she's teetering on the least electorally strong platform of which is going on. Now, there was a redistricting since 2020. The district's probably eight or nine points, maybe even 10 points ahead for the Republicans, it's probably 54-46 if there was a vote between a Republican cantaloupe and a Democratic cantaloupe, if you will. But the only reason that I was willing to put myself forward and put my family through what could be coming and and what's going on is that Lauren Bobart is so weak that, you know, unfortunately, in today's politics, there's this assumption that if you're loud, you must be strong. Right. And she's loud and weak and she's very, a lot more vulnerable than a lot of people realized. Um, and this I is the case. So. Of, I hope yeah, so. No, I mean, we need I, we need about 10 percent of her right. prior vote. Right. And, and let's think it through, because I have to confess and I did it on the radio or maybe I would not even talk about it. But I voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah. OK, so 
to me, one of my main issues, I didn't like the Iran nuke deal. And also, as a guest of Jared Polis, I was in the House chambers when Netanyahu gave that speech. And then, so there, and so Donald Trump, for example, was good uh, for Israel in some ways, right? Moving the embassy and stuff like that. So there were some good things that he did that I expect you embraced too. And I have, right, the Abraham Accord. So that's, that there are good things that I'm sure your constituents like. And yeah. let's talk about your personal politics. Are you a far lefty, or, or, or have you no. ever been, have you always been a Democrat? Were you ever unaffiliated? Oh, I, uh, I, I I was unaffiliated my whole life until December twenty seventh of twenty twenty one, and it was not easy to explain to the Democratic primary voters why I've only been a Democrat for seven minutes of that during that primary. Well, explain why you were unaffiliated. I think that's so cool that you got elected to Aspen City Council as unaffiliated. What did they have? Nonpartisan elections? Yeah. So, yeah, Aspen is Aspen's nonpartisan politics. Obviously, the vast majority of people um, who run in Aspen are are Democrats, but it's a nonpartisan election. I'll tell you, Craig, when I started to look at this race and talk to some people, I knew I was in good shape because when I talked to some of these community leaders here in Aspen, they asked, they said, Adam, it's great that you're thinking about running against Lauren Boebert. Are you running as a Republican or as a Democrat? Uh, and these are people that have known me for like 15 years. And I think people just assume that I was unaffiliated to kind of hide my Republicanism. I've never been a Republican. And I will say that I've never voted for a Republican on a national level. Um, I, I kind of focus, you know, I'm one of these socially liberal, social libertarian with some fiscal conservative in them. I, I just think that who's on the Supreme Court uh, is important to me. And I realize I'm not applying for that job, but I kind of like the, especially recently, which is just, you know, let bygones be bygones and leave us alone and more of that personal freedom that I don't think is coming out of um, the Republican side. So I made it very clear when I was running, my view from the very start was if a moderate, pragmatic, pro-business Democrat can get by the Democratic primary, which will not be easy, and it wasn't easy, I oh, think come I can, on! You won by over a percentage point, right? I, I won. I won two. I I won by fewer than three hundred votes out of fifty thousand. Right. And landslide, Adam. I yeah. I hope you win your next election the same yeah. way. Although they'll well, they'll claim it was fixed, Dominion. You know that. Yeah. But. So here's what here's what I tell people, Craig. Even to the Democratic primary voters, I said, listen, if there was a get stuff done party, I'd be in that party. But the Get Stuff Done party is not doing very well right now. And, I, Craig, I've been saying that for like 10 years. Right. Um, and the other things that I think resonated, even at the, on the Democratic primary, was that my number one goal is to go join this Problem Solvers Caucus in the House of Representatives. And the, the, the Problem Solvers Caucus, and I, why every single person in the House is not part of a Problem Solvers Caucus, because that's their job, it's made up of 29 Democrats and 29 Republicans. It's always going to be an equal balance of congressional members. They worked on the very first COVID bill that was bipartisan. And that caucus also brought um, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which our our congressional candidate turned down and gave up on. I I want to do a top 10 for you uh, because, no, I want to do a top 10 why Trump voters should vote for you. The Abraham Accords, I put that on the list. What else should I put down? Did well, you know, I, I think 30 to 40% of the Republican Party wants their party back. Um, 
which if you ask me about a Trump voter, that's different one I'm going to want to talk about. So let's go back to you. I'm sorry. No, that's all uh, right. I'm just wondering about the policies, though, the, the sort of conservative policies that you would have. Like, do you want to raise taxes a lot or are you fiscally conservative? No, I, I, I'm fiscally conservative. My main plan is I want to the number one concern that this district should have is they don't have a representative who's representing them. Right. The current representative is representing what I call, and I've got this from my friend Dean Phillips, is the angertainment industry. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are the are the leaders of the angertainment industry. And it's yelling and shouting and generating money on a national level, spending as many hours as possible on the cable news networks, ginning up the base, spending their whole time tweeting and try to figure out how to raise their money and their profile while they keep on voting, while Lauren Bobart keeps on voting against the economic interests of her district. Well, and the I, amount- right. Yeah. Go ahead. I, 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 I don't understand Western Colorado that well. You've lived there for quite a while, and now you've traveled the district. And I don't see it uh, um, why they have such an attraction to Bobart and Trump. What is it? Do they like the fact that they're owning the libs? Is that the sort of thing, the whole anti-woke thing? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. A couple of things on a national level, if we can go there, and I appreciate actually having the ability to have conversations of depth, so thank you. One, I think 30 to 40% of the Republican Party wants their party back. And I think you might fall into that with a lot of other people. And you see that at a national level. Um, and my guess was back in November that somebody was going to probably run against Lauren Boebert. And I, my thought was they could probably capture 30 to 40 percent of the party. And lo and behold, Don Corum comes around, a very upstanding gentleman, spent some, a lot of time uh, in the state capitol representing Western Colorado. And when we had lunch a couple months into the race, I said, you know, Don, thank you for running. It's a very noble effort, especially today where the Republican Party is. But you need 51 percent of the Republican Party and I need 10% of them. And I just don't think more than 40% of the people are ready to go anti-Trump, anti-Bobart. There's just too many people that think January 6th was a peace march. And, and that's kind of sadly where the Republican Party is. Um, and so my electoral path to victory is to um, build this bipartisan pro-normal coalition. And I need about 10% of our prior voters. Now, let's talk bigger picture. Um, 0809. Um, one of the, you know, there's obviously this huge financial crisis that happened. Just to be clear, I was long gone from working in commercial banking, but no one paid the price at a high level for that. You know, a lot, all of us normal people, the houses, our housing values got slaughtered. There was a lot of unemployment. It was a real shock to the system. People's retirement funds got set back years, if not decades. And when no one paid the price in D.C., and this was right during the transition right between President Bush and President Obama, when no one paid that price, um, that sent up the resentment factor. That sent up this huge thing about giving the middle finger to everyone in the establishment. And this is where you saw the Tea Party. This is where Brexit came in 2016 from in the U.K. and Europe. And this is when Trump started. Right. And there were a lot of people that were super frustrated that no one was yelling and screaming that they got screwed. Right. And both parties missed it. 
And this is where I think a lot of the former Democratic votes went, especially in rural America. And Donald Trump did a brilliant job, and you have to call it that, and figuring out a way to fire up this, this base, which has turned into angertainment and resentment. But there's a good chunk of that stuff that is fair to say, hey, listen, those of us that are not part of this elite class that don't have the financial stability of housing and everything else like that and don't have the don't have the stable jobs really got screwed in 2008, 2009 and 2010. And that sent up a lot of resentment across the country, uh, especially in rural America, especially for those families and people that had um, did not have college education. And it's certainly not a requirement that you have college education to be good people and, and successful and everything else like that. But that entire infrastructure disappeared. Um, and some other things happened. And I just think that opened up a can of worms for a lot of resentment. Uh, and, and Trump figured out how to tap that. And I, I think Bobart, Lauren Bobart has figured out how to tap that um, to a T as well. And so the A, that's just sadly, Craig, where the Republican Party is now. Uh, that those that especially show up at the primary voters are still under that. Um, I just think that the 36% of the people that voted against her in the primary are the people that I'm focused on in, in this. And I think a third of that 36% probably not going to want to talk to anybody who's less than a rabbit are. They'll either stay home or they'll hold their nose and vote for the current candidate. But I do think two thirds of them will sit through a business luncheon with me and listen to me have a conversation about how important it is to have Colorado energy be strong as an industry and Colorado water needs to be protected and Colorado jobs need to be um, enhanced. Uh, you know, and a 3.5% unemployment rate is great, but when some of that unemployment rate is people that used to make 60 bucks an hour being an electrician in the oil and gas industry, and now they're an electrician in a local business making 15 bucks an hour. While their unemployment status is still employed, it's certainly been crushing to them and their family and their community to see so many people lose these $60 an hour jobs that have turned into $15 and $20 an hour jobs. Right. And then some politicians turn their anger against other people, scapegoating them, stuff like that. Yeah. I've always been against uh, Lauren Boebert, but never more so than... Now that she's embraced the term Christian nationalism, scares the crap out of me. How do you react to it? Yeah, you know, uh, she was here She um, a couple months ago. She was in the Roaring Fork Valley um, at a Christian school, and I don't have a problem with Christian schools, but she got up and said, I'm sick and I think, don't quote me, but I think it's pretty darn close. I'm sick and tired of the state running the church. The church should be running the state. And that is signal for her church to be running our state, right? And, and a lot of us have been there, but even those that are Christian, a lot of them were turned off by that. I'm sure she doesn't understand what the Establishment Clause is as part of history, but, um, you know, she is a fringe person. And I'm not even talking about on the on the linear thing of being really conservative or really liberal. She is just on a different quadrant of extremism about what she says. And I mean, I just don't believe this is where Western Slope Colorado people are. 
I hope um, not. I, I no, mean, no, do you consider but, Colorado part of the Bible Belt? I've been wondering about that. You know, when it comes to abortion, yeah. for example, how does that play on the Western Slope? So, you know, one of the things I think is great about Colorado is that it's pro-freedom. And I think one of the reasons you see a strong pro-choice population along with a pro-Second Amendment population, which I'm both, um, it's because of this live and let live. It, this is about freedom, and people in Colorado want to be left alone by the government, especially on the Western Slope. And so and, until the recent um, identity politics that Trump brought forward, um, it was a lot more of this let, let live. Who cares who people marry and who they love? As long as they're good citizens and good people and they treat their neighbors with respect. And this mean and petty stuff is is just out of control. And that might sound weak, but I, I just believe that we're all better than that. And so I'm a little naive. I'm not completely naive, but I do believe, and I'm again, I'm spending a lot of time talking to Republicans, former as well as current, and they want their party back. They want the respect back, and they want someone to focus on their district. And speaking of being better than that, what about all the Boebert controversies? What about the, her driving around the planet and trying to get reimbursed for extra benefits? You've been driving around your big district. What do you make of that? Is she, Are her numbers, when it comes to money, ever to be trusted? You know, do I think she's fleecing the taxpayers? Yes. Do I think she's fleecing her donors who have given her money for political um, funding that she's using for personal expenses? Yes. But I'm not really focused on that, Craig. My, I'm zero focused that she's not focused on this district. And there are two buckets of votes that we're very focused on as a campaign. There are buckets of votes where she voted against the direct economic interests of her district, our district, my district, her community. Uh, and that is turning down tons of infrastructure money that would have gone to help to make better roads um, and better broadband right. uh, and turn away tons of money uh, that was going to bring rural health care and rural education funding. And so there's that whole that whole bucket of and now she's actually trying to turn around and take credit for all this stuff. That's a whole other conversation. But she has voted against the economic interests of everyone in her district, not just a bunch of liberal Dems that she wants to own, but those that voted for her and rallied for her. There's also a chunk of votes where she was one of seven, one of 10, one of 15, where she's just a pure extremist voting against protecting veterans uh, from the burn pits, right. where she was one of 20 or 25. Uh, she's voted basically to support Putin three times. There, there have been what, three, what is that about? You know, you could say follow her money to figure out if she's being supported by people that are not exactly true Americans. I don't know. I don't, you know, I understand why people vote against some things I don't agree with. I don't have a problem with that. But usually if you're one of seven or one of 17 or one of 20, usually there's something going on that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I truly in the bottom of my heart, don't know why you would vote against um, millions of dollars to take care of veterans in CD3. We have a huge veteran population, and they're being crushed by medical access loss. Well, well, didn't, you, didn't you answer yourself with their next vote? Three for pro-Putin? That's the kind of way Putin yeah. would vote. I, I do worry about who's behind her. You've mentioned your wife, who's a public figure, right, on the school board. What about... Uh, Lauren Boebert's husband. Is he fair game? Some recent controversies about him, past arrests. It, 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 
is that a character issue that people in CD3 should think about? I, I think personal character is certainly a viable quotient that goes into who do you want representing you and your family and your community and your business to make the right decisions. You know, but at the end of the day, um, I'd rather just focus, you know, there are some people focusing on all their personal foibles. Um, and I just don't have interest or time to really go there. Uh, I, I, I got gotcha. you. I, I like the high yeah. road you're taking, but you know, I, so, I mean, you know, it's easy for you know, the, Craig. The reason why this is working out well for us, and while we're while we're seven points behind and catching up, is my natural lane is, is pro business, pragmatic, thoughtful, serious, do the job, and that's exactly what happens in meeting. I didn't start out as an unserious goofball. I'm a workhorse. He's a show pony. And that's the case that we're going to be making. And I, I I challenge everyone who has a business, who has a family, who's a community member, who do you want sitting doing the 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 work in the subcommittees in Washington, DC? Do you want me protecting Colorado water? Do you want me supporting the jobs in the clean energy sector as well as the the oil and gas energy, which I'm happy to talk about? Or do you want this goofball show pony that is not in those meetings As focused on their district right. and she's on television the whole time? There's serious times ahead. And I think I think a lot of people want a serious candidate and they want a serious representative who's going to represent them, not their personal Twitter feed. Right. And and that district had it traditionally. McGinnis tipped in Salazar, yeah. right? That, you know, Democrats, Republicans, I doubt you would have gotten into it. But can we talk no. about how stupid she is? I mean, my God, I know she may have gotten a GED. There's controversy about that. But when she tweeted today, Friday afternoon, A.G. Garland personally approved the raid on President Trump. This is nothing short of a coup. First of all, I'm sorry for all you people who watch Fox News. He's not president anymore. We've had a new president for a while. It's not a coup. It's called a process that I'm used to as an attorney and a former prosecutor. It's the executive branch working with the judicial branch. There are checks and balances, and we will all find out. And it turns out that Donald Trump's being investigated for espionage. What's your reaction to all of that? Let me just back up. And is it fair to talk about her being stupid? Or let me put it this way. I've talked to you for, what, uh, uh, 45 minutes now. You are so much smarter than she is. Can I say that? Isn't it fair? She's too dumb to be in Congress. Well, let's go back to what's going on with President Trump. I am. He put the country in a horrible situation. You either hold everyone to the same rules of law and standards and you get stuck, you know, focusing on a former president or you are stuck with, oh, this is going to tear the country apart. We're better off. Just let this person go. And I am pretty sure. And again, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure the last thing uh, the Justice Department wants to do are, are to chase anybody of any political party when they've left office. But at some point, there's a breaking point. And I only know what's been reported in the paper, but I'm reading about nuclear secrets and top secret documents. And my understanding was, you know, A.G. Garland asked nicely, pretty please, a couple times. They knew what was coming. Um, and we'll then, and then issued a subpoena. 
which was ignored, yeah. Trump style. We don't honor service of process around here. Keep going. You know, let's go back to the Constitution. Yes. I think the founding fathers did a pretty good job of making sure that there might be a scenario where you get uh, a chief executive, a president that goes off the rocker and needs to be um, impeached. I don't think the founding fathers, and I don't think any of us would have thought until a couple of years ago, that an entire different branch of government was just going to cave, right? And the, the, the Congress was supposed to be the check on the executive branch. And I don't think anyone thought, including going back to those great founding fathers that I hold up in high esteem, that they expected the entire Congress, no matter how big it was going to be, was, was going to be abdicating the responsibility of putting their constitutional duties uh, above personal uh, um, above personal focus. And, you know, there was, watching those January 6th videos, um, not at the same level, but it, it brought me the same pit in my stomach as watching, the, I still can't watch the World Trade Center falling down in those 9-11 videos, but it wasn't much different. And I don't use that lightly because I lived through the former, you know, literally personal experience, but watching those people attack our state cap or our U.S. Capitol, it was just gut wrenching and really hard to believe at the same level of watching those horrible 9-11 um, footages. Right, footage but, but, from- but your opponent, Adam, was a part of it. You are running yeah. against a participant in January 6th. She was in the building she tweeted, the speaker has left uh, the chamber. She tweeted, 1776. Are you going to be talking about that? Is that an issue in your campaign? Listen, I'm happy to answer the question. Our main issues are focused on the economic interests of this district, and she's not focusing on I'm focused on the veteran issues in this district. I'm focused on making sure that Colorado including especially this district has good Colorado G Colorado energy production. And that includes in gas as well as the newer green energies that are out there. And we're also focused on the rural aspects of better healthcare access and the rural aspects of, of education, which, you know, I'm a big believer in. Um, but I'm happy to talk about that. I just, you know, it's a derelict of duty um, to sit there and support what happened in January 6th. And I, I think it's really important that we don't forget about what happened. I thought the January 6th things have been done very, very well. Um, we're, we're big fans. I, I, you know, I, I had a chance to meet Liz Cheney uh, last summer and I said, you know, I can't believe I'm cheering for uh, a Cheney. But um, even a year ago, she was doing the right thing. And I think she's done a phenomenal job. Um, there are a few true um, Republicans who have really stood up and, and those 10 that voted against those 10 that supported his impeachment, um, there aren't many of them left right. uh, in the House anymore. But, you know, it is principles over party and country over a person. And I, I just think that's the shocking thing that's happened to so many of us that have looked around and said, how did this happen? There was about a 36-hour window, Craig, from what I can gather, from late on the January 6th to the January 8th moment, where Mitch McConnell and and and, and um, Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy yeah. they had they had and they had thirty six hours to get the job done and call it and if they would have given the the rowing speech they could have given and they should have given mm-hmm. and shame on them for not I really do think we could have been done and we as a country 
um, could have been done with where we are with, with it turned that page a little bit. Right. It would have been completely gone, but it would have been a great first step. And I hope they think about that uh, long into the rest of their lives, which I hope they have long lives without, without a doubt. But that 36 hour window, I hope someone does a story about that or Woodward and Bernstein come out with the book about that, because that was a turning point um, in our country and and people failed to stand up. It was a profile in cowardness and it will go down um, in the halls of infamy. And I don't say that with pride because listen, I'm a proud American. You're a proud American. You know, that was, those were 36 horrible, dark hours right. of cowardice. And you remember Kevin McCarthy got up there and gave a speech condemning Trump on the House floor. Sitting right behind him was new member Lauren Boebert. Yeah. Do you remember that? And it turns out her side prevailed. She was sitting there shooting darts into his back on behalf of Trump. She's on her Twitter. She has her pinned tweet, a let's go Brandon dress while she's hugging Donald J. Trump. I'm telling you, Adam, you've got the best luck in the world because you're going to go from seven points down to seven points up, maybe by two weeks from now. I'm telling you because Donald Trump is collapsing and you're no liberal. You've got moderate policies. You've even said you're for the Second Amendment, which is fine. But would you pose on Twitter with your family with those long guns? I mean, Lauren Boebert, no, the way you know, she fetishizes guns, I just don't like it. What about you? The performative aspect of politics is disgusting. And you see it on both sides. And, you know, I'm going there to get stuff done. And, you know, Craig, I think we as Congress people have about 175 days a year to actually work on policies. And I want to spend the vast majority of those 175 days trying to write legislation or stop legislation that's going to be in the best interest of CD3. Uh, and then some of those days need to be spent on these aspirational conversations about what could be done and what should be done in the future. But I want to get stuff done. And there's a list, um, there, there's a uh, a bipartisan group called the Luger Center, uh, and Senator Luger used to be a moderate Republican, right? And he has a ranking every term of 435 House of Representatives on bipartisanship. And if you look at the bottom five or 10, they're very well-known people, and they're very well-known on television, and they're very well-known for not getting anything done and Lauren Bobart is 433 out of 435. Mm -hmm. My goal is to be in the top 10 of this bipartisan index because I realize that there are, there are you know, the district is 25% Democrat, 31% Republican, and 43% unaffiliated. Uh, and I can't do this um, just with the Democrats, again, of which I signed up for in, in end of December. And so I have to build this bipartisan coalition and I do believe that there are many, many, and they're growing by the day. Lauren Bobart is the gift that keeps on giving mm -hmm. with her votes. She's the gift that keeps on giving with her extremism. And we're going to build this coalition. And, and we're not going to win by a landslide, but we're going to win by enough to send a message. And I, and I do want to say, if we have some time, I'm not sure what our time thing here is, but we have all that. We have all the time in the world. Okay. Seriously, go for it. So let, let, let's talk about. The Democratic Party in, in rural America and the Republican Party in urban America. Um, there are three thousand counties in the country, and two thousand of them are are deemed rural by the Department of Agriculture. Which obviously every single county in CD three, we have twenty eight counties. We have half of Eagle County, but it's it, you know it's in there twenty counties. 
Bill Clinton won 50 some percent of the rural counties in 1996. Barack Obama then won 25% of the rural counties. Joe Biden from Scranton, Pennsylvania, in 20, you know, when he won, he won 10% of the rural counties in, in this country. And the Democratic Party is 20 big cities, Aspen and Malibu. Like that's all that's left of the Democratic Party now. Mm-hmm. And because the Democratic Party has collapsed in rural America, you nobody is getting the best version of the Republican Party. And to flip it on its side, you look at the Democratic dominance of these 20 big cities. And because they have such a monopoly, and monopolies are bad in the private sector, Craig, and they're bad in the public sector. And because these Democratic parties, uh, the Democratic Party has a stranglehold on urban America, we are not getting the best version of the Democratic Party. And so the vast majority of the people in our country are not getting the best version of whatever party they might want to belong in. And that's why there's so many people that are becoming unaffiliated and independent and are part of this, what I call the get stuff done party. And every community should be fought over by both parties. Um, And until that happens, it's going to be really hard to get the best part of the Democratic Party and the best version of the Republican Party. And I'm trying to do my little part to make sure uh, that rural America is can be represented by two different parties and that I'm focused on ag, I'm focused on ranching, I'm focused on Colorado energy, I'm focused on jobs, and I'm focused on the reality of what a lot of people go through on a daily basis to keep food on their plate for their family. Gosh, that's brilliant. You're showing off that double degree in economics and political science, blending them perfectly. But one thing that I've noticed about media on the Western Slope or rural anywhere as opposed to the city is the media and what people get put into their head. And Rush Limbaugh had a big effect on this country. And so did Alex Jones, that scumbag. And people are making money off of uh, teaching rural America to hate urban America and maybe to some degree vice versa. It's horrible. And I'm no antitrust practitioner, but gosh, you make perfect sense. Anytime you have a monopoly, it's to the detriment of the consumer. And I do see that in Denver. I do see that they don't perform the services that well. Aspen is a functioning city. I bet there were a lot of lessons you learned in that government position. You're not a newcomer. You've got constituents with lots of different opinions and a lot of real world issues in a in an important small town. What did you really learn there that you were going to bring to Congress? Were you a consensus builder? Yeah, no, I mean, that's how I, you know, it it makes up for a lot of other, some of my foibles, which is consensus building and being thoughtful and being a good listener and trying to, you know, come to yes. And while that might seem a little naive, I tell people I'm a little naive, I'm not completely naive. You know, um, I know it was not going to be easy um, running for this district coming from a mountain town, let alone this mountain town. Um, but I do want to, I do want to make a case for what happens in Aspen. There's a couple of things that I think some people don't know. Aspen started working on this affordable housing issue in 1974, literally 1974. They knew back then that if they didn't start housing the workforce in the community, it was going to cause a lot more traffic, be bad for the environment. And we needed to have workers. Uh, they could work. Uh, and be in town and have a lights on community. They've been worried. They've been working on childcare issues for a really long time. Um, they've been working on worker rights for a really long time. Now, 
Um, and so it was, as I mentioned at the start of this call, Craig, when I was out there in Walsenburg and Craig, um, Colorado and up in Moffat County, you see some of these places that are running into housing issues. And now Aspen obviously is blessed or cursed um, with a lot more money per capita than a lot of other of these communities have to do it. But it was amazing the amount, the, the number of county commissioners and city council people from all different um, persuasions on the political spectrum who wanted to have conversations with me about about the housing crisis and some of these other things that are going on in their communities. And you, people make fun of Aspen at the start of these multi-city conversations. And by the time we end up leaving, they want to know how do we do it. Now, again, we're blessed with, there's a lot of money up here uh, and there's a lot of unreality up here. I'm very aware of that, but it's a strong community. It's a great community. Um, but there are some lessons that I can bring into kind of the real parts of this district. And when I'm talking to people in Pueblo and Grand Junction, and I was up in Nucla and Dove Creek and some places that a lot of candidates have never been, I'm having conversations with, you know, the real parts of this district about what is important. And they it's so important to have someone in D.C. fighting on their behalf, letting them know uh, that some of these poor counties, and we have some of the poorest, the you know, I think we have, I think 12 of the 16 poorest counties in Colorado are on CD3. So there are a lot of things that are that are troubling in this whole district. And even in these kind of fancier, well-off resort communities, the mental health crises that we have are just as bad, if not worse, than they are in, in, in some of the more traditional average income communities. Um, and so there's a lot of troubled things going on. But there are great people in this district. There's great opportunity. Um, they just need to be, you know, I've told people like, I'm never, ever going to take away anyone's dignity for putting food on plates for their family. And some of the loudest voices that come out of the democratic party, I'm pretty sure their constituents use five times as much gas and oil as the people, the men and the women that are taking it out of Western and Southern Colorado. And I, so I think a lot of people need to have humility, including those urban Democrats. I don't think it's a matter of hating. I don't hate people. I don't hate rural America or, or certainly don't hate urban America. I just think that there, there's there's some lives that are being lived at a different level. And I just wish both parties and both groups of people had a better understanding of each other. Uh, and there's just been a lot of disrespect to rural America. And that's why there, there's had so much frustration um, wanting to talk to a different party besides the kind of the bad version of the Republican Party, which is kind of what we have there right now. So... I'm I'm doing my I'm going to be spending a lot of time in town halls, meeting with a lot of Republicans, and whether they're Bobert supporters or not, and there's more not than growing of her support. We think we can make a connection with them. How many debates? That. When? Where? So we challenged her to four debates. My ideal debate format for the community was to have a 90-minute conversation, 45 minutes with Representative Bobart and myself sitting on a chair. And have a moderator. Not the same chair, different chairs, right? Different chairs. And then 45 minutes of question and answer from a town hall from the from the audience. And she will not accept a town hall format. And while I understand why she's scared of me to have debates, I I'm not sure why she's scared to talk to her voters, but she obviously is. You know, my communication, our communication team has get me in front of people. I'll go on Fox News. I'll go on CNN. I'll go on. I told her I would challenge her to a debate in Rifle Colorado about the Second Amendment and energy independence in Colorado. 
Will you go on? Uh, will you go on Denver Trump Radio, or is that out of sure. you all? Hey, no, no. Any you know, anytime. And I will not talk to Alex Jones. You know, obviously that's going to be my my break point. What but, about Steve Bannon? Um, say no. I Steve Bannon had Alex Jones on. In, yeah, yeah, right. Anyway, oh, but at, at a high level, I'll say this: I will debate her anywhere, anytime, anyhow, in any format, talking about anything. Um, and she's accepted Club 20. Uh, that's September 10th down in Grand Junction. It will be, I think it's in the late afternoon. There'll be some press releases about that. I, I didn't realize it, but I guess I'm one of the very first Democrats in a long time that have been willing to accept Club 20. Uh, and I didn't even realize it was optional <laughs> to turn down. Well, I think you know, the Jared Polis. Jared Polis started that, and they made a big huff about it. But I think you're wise because I hope you can compete in Grand Junction. And one promising sign is Tina Peters seems to have been recognized for uh, the mega mega person she is. And Tina Peters was tied at the hip with Lauren Boebert and Sharona Bishop. Do any of these side characters come into play? Are you going to, is that a fair thing to talk about? We, we asked um, in the campaign, we sent out a, a public ask um, to the legal forces in Colorado to investigate that Lauren Bobart, uh, Sharona Bishop, Tina Peters uh, connection. And there definitely seems to be one. And it certainly got Lauren Bobart fired up because she ended up on the front page of the Pueblo newspaper threatening to sue me. Uh, no, tell me more. Back, back that up a little bit. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I know what is the relationship between Tina Peters and Sharona Bishop, otherwise known as America's mom. These people yeah. have big social media presence. I heard Sharona Bishop, who travels with Tina B Peters on the Mike Lindell uh, jet all the time. And they all came to fame around the same time. What were the connections between these three women? She, uh, Sharona Bishop and Lauren Bobart uh, used to work together on on Lauren Bobart's campaign, and you know, and that's kind of where that connection came from. And the the you know, I, I love Mesa County, but they're doubly cursed. They have Lauren Bobart not representing them in Congress, and they had Tina Peters is probably, you know, I said there's three thousand counties uh, in the country. She has to be probably in the top one of worst. County clerks of the three thousand. Corruption. So, she combines corruption and incompetence. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. And you know, again, there, I'll let other people kind of focus on that. I think again, the vast majority of people I'm talking about that I want to win over, which are, you know, uh, those independent voters and those Republicans or independents that have voted Republican. They they want again. They want someone who's serious to focus on their family focus on their business and focus on their community. And they don't want me focus on the yelling and the screaming and the name calling. And so, you know, that I realize that's kind of part of it. Unfortunately, I know that Lauren Bobart would love to get into that, but I'm not going to take the bait. Uh, you know, I need to be able to look, look my children in the eye every day and say, your father tried to do the best he could in a way that you should be proud of him. And, and I know my wife, Katie, does the same thing as, as raising parents. But what was and, this lawyer's letter about the association oh, of the three of them? Yeah, we just wanted them to investigate it. And we thought that there might have been emails back and forth. And if there were, they should be, um, you know, released for transparency purposes. And um, I would need to look up and see kind of where it, it kind of fell on deaf ears, unfortunately. But Emails regarding um, what? The connection between Bishop and T 
and and Lauren Bobart. And if there was a connection to the whole Tina Peters saga of how that election was run in Mesa County in 2020. And then Sharona Bishop's house got raided, kind of Mar-a-Lago yeah. style, and she complained about it a lot like Donald Trump. Maybe she'll yeah. claim stuff was planted. She hasn't been charged with anything. Tina Peters got arrested a couple times now. And then didn't she uh, kind of castigate Lauren Boebert for not being sufficiently supportive of her? Are those two arguing now, or do you understand it? Yeah. Um. I have other things to do to try to figure out when Tina Peters and Lauren Bobart are going to get in okay. an argument. I am focused on how Lauren Bobart is not doing her job. It'd be one thing if, if the, all these shenanigans and antics were happening and she was actually delivering for her voters, delivering for the veterans, delivering for the oil and gas workers, delivering for the teachers, but she's not. And to me, that's really what people are focused on. And that's how we're going to win them over when it comes to November 8th and those weeks before when they have their ballot on their on their kitchen table. Well, how, how does the- Lauren Boebert get so much money? I mean, you're fighting uh, a Leviathan, right? She's got a lot of dough. Where does it come from? Um, you know, I, I would, I, I'm hoping that all of it is turned in through the FEC. Um, you know, the amount of money that she raises outside of her district and outside of the state um, puts her in the top echelon of being truly nationally funded by by special interests and out there. You know, I go back to this angertainment industry, and it's a matter of she tries to set herself up where she gets news, like bringing her her handgun into the state capitol. She knows she's going to be stopped. She sends out a tweet about it and generates a bunch of money. And then when the media reports about it, uh, she sends out another tweet, and she raises more money off of these right. things. And that's part of this angertainment cycle that. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert have figured out. And while that works for 50 to 60% of the voter base, unfortunately, possibly in CD3, I truly believe there's enough people that want the, you know, they want the circus to stop and they want someone to focus on their family and their business and their community. I think the circus 10 is collapsing. How can we contribute to your cause? What do you need from the people out there? Well, listen, Craig, I appreciate the conversation you've been able to have and the fact you give voice to people. So much of these conversations are are 17 characters in 17 seconds. And so I appreciate, as you can tell, I like to get into the conversations and the dialogue and the policy about what's important. Uh, our website is adamforcolorado.com. I try to make, I'm very accessible, Adam at adamforcolorado.com you will be anyone will be emailed back within 24 hours we think it's really really important our phone number is 970-710-3090 again uh, 970-710-3090 adamforcolorado.com we have a couple of different websites to d- donate up there we would love support from five dollars all the way up the breadth of our support is just imp- as important as the depth of each individual contribution we truly are building a bipartisan pro-normal coalition, and that's what's going to be needed to defeat Lauren Boebert and get rid of this hate that's floating around. We This district is better than that, and that's where I go back to. I'm a little naive. I'm not completely naive, but we're about Colorado first, America strong, and I think that's what the vast majority of the voters want in our district. I think you can do it. I really think you're running at the right time. You're smart. You have the right skill set. I believe you when you say you are a consensus builder. Two teenagers at home 
and you can do yeah. all this? Can you build yeah. a consensus at home too? Are your kids no. are your kids down with this effort and the wife and all that? No. Um, so a couple of things. You know, when, when COVID started, I obtained my three-year substitute teaching license because there's one thing that I believe in to the core, and, and my wife Katie does as well, is that kids need to kids need to be in a schoolroom, in a classroom, almost at all costs. And one of the true tragedies uh, tragedies of COVID over the past couple of years was when those kids weren't in school. And to think about so many of those families that had two working parents on hourly wages out, and then you hear these horrible stories of 12-year-old, the 12-year-old sister taking care of the nine-year-old brother at home. And so I ended up substitute teaching once or twice a week uh, at the school district here. And I focused on pre-K, four and kindergarten, because as I told you, when you have teenagers, you want to spend time with kids that still want to hold your hand and hug you. And, and that was a great part. But no, I, I'm, a, I'm a great dad. And there'll be one thing that I'll brag about. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, be able to spend a lot of time with them. And no, my, both my daughter and my son and my wife are, fi- are fired up to make sure that this gets done. We have this conversation that it could come to, you know, some personal frustrations uh, up at her house or not about running against someone that's so extreme and some of her, her supporters. But so far that's been okay, but we're really proud of our family. Um, our, our son has been actively involved. He's 16, but operating the job of a 25 year old being in charge of the field and our volunteer stuff. He's very interested in, wow. uh, in, 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 in what happens in public policy as well. Uh, and our 15 year old daughter is excited as well. They all helped us make a lot of phone calls and a lot of their friends during the primary to make sure we got the vote out, make sure we had the chance to get by uh, the Democratic primary and have a chance to build this coalition that I truly believe can happen and will happen. What's the closest part of CD3 to Metro Denver so we can go to a big Adam Frisch event? Um, well, we'll keep you posted. I mean, we're um, Pueblo. You know, we're going to be down in, we're going to be down in Pueblo a lot. Obviously, um, I'll, I will I will keep you posted, and our communication people, Craig, will keep you posted in our public events. I need the, one of the re, you know I did eight thousand miles on the road um, during the primary. The last six days, I did nineteen hundred miles on the road with my son um, Felix and two of his friends, and we went to fifty six communities in in seven days. And we stopped basically every hour on the hour at a school district in Nukla and Dove Creek and Arbalis. We were everywhere. Uh, and we really and wanted got, to make a case about- And you've got a tricked out vehicle, right? Tell everybody about that. Yeah, we, we have a Beat Bobart buggy. I'll try to figure out how to get a picture on that if you have a website. No, I'll but, get it up. I, I know yeah, where our, to find it online. Our, our, our family's had a 19-foot uh, camper trailer for a long time where we explore the great outdoors of Colorado and go hunt, go fishing and, and go mountain biking and hiking. Uh, and I turned it into a beat Bobart buggy. We had it on the Western slope. We had it turned into a moving billboard. And this is why I think we're going to win, Craig, or I know we're going to win. Um, my son and I, again, we drove it 1,900 miles in six days. And on the back of the trailer, it says a beat Bobart buggy driving her out of office. And we kept track in these 1,900 miles, how many people gave us a thumbs up and how many people gave us uh, the middle finger. And we had 43 thumbs up and 19 middle fingers. And we were in the most rural parts of Western Colorado and Southern Colorado. We were in Montezuma. Uh, we were in La Plata. We were in Moffitt. We were up in Dinosaur. We were in Mesa County. 
And so we got a almost pretty much a two to one ratio of thumbs up to, to middle fingers. Uh, and so I, I'm going to use that unscientific polling to tell you that we are going to win and she is weak and going to lose. You've got a lot of courage. I was telling my 19-year-old, you know, I have a law license in Colorado and I kind of restrict myself to the metro area. What one community or two that you've discovered on your travel said, whoa, you got to see this if you're a Colorado guy. Where would you have me drive? What really turned you on? Someplace like Ure or... You know, so you know, I've been I've had a chance to be um, in, in Ure in some of these mountains, uh, Alamosa. I would say uh, Walsenburg um, ha- have been really great and receptive, and they just have really great vibes with really great places to have a beer and really great places to build community. Um, but you know, even down in even down in Cortez has been great as well. I mean, w- by far and away, and maybe I'm not. Hopefully, Lauren Bobart would agree on this with me. It's the most beautiful district uh, of of the districts in the entire country, not just in Colorado. Um, the, the, the fields, the alfalfa fields, the cantaloupe fields uh, of, of down south, to all the 14ers we have, to Bubba to go hiking, to our resort communities, um, to the western, the true western slope of, of Grand Junction and the prairie places as well, uh, and getting some of that high desert up in the Grand Mesa. Uh, we're blessed with a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country. I went with and, my wife. No, th- yeah, I I saw Bonnie Wright, and she was talking about the Colorado Basin, Southern Utah area, yeah, and climate change. I'm sure that's a big part of everything. But you know what sounded like the best part of your trip? My God, Felix is there, and he's involved in politics. Yeah. You know, not every kid has that interest, right? Most are interested mm-hmm. in other things. How did you have a kid like that? Is your daughter the same? Uh, I, I'll call her more normal. Uh, <laughs> she's more interested in, in her sports and her friends. And, um, no, she has some strong beliefs too, for, for equality and everything else like that. But I, I tell people I probably shouldn't, uh, you know, uh, we went to Walt Disney World once and I think Felix had a bigger smile when I was in DC a couple of weeks ago than he was in Disney World when he was nine. So I'm not sure if that bodes well, bodes well for him later on, but he's been a huge help this whole campaign and he's really into it and he believes that it's important to stand up too. And, you know, I'll say, yeah, he's proud of his mom and his dad for standing up when it's important and, and taking on some of these leadership roles. We've been involved in some nonprofit work, hosting at risk, at risk kids as well. And it's not always about this whole, the, the public aspect. As I said, when I was on the city council of Aspen, I was doing elected community service uh, and our school board is elected community service as well. This is obviously um, a, a different uh, level of conversation about policy. But in my heart, I feel like I'm doing elected community service. I think I'm trying to represent my community in the best way possible. Um, it's going to be, you know, a lot more frisky than it was on on the city council level. Um, but the stakes are high, and we're in an important part of our time. I would not have been. I would not be running if there was a regular Republican, a rational Republican running. Hey, the district can't be won. Um, when there's a regular Republican in there, I can keep the district when I win. But if a regular, you know, if, and I had this conversation with Don Corum, I said, Don, if if you win the primary, it'll be great for the country, but it will, it will suck for me. Right. Uh, but that'll be okay. But if you and if you get five percent of your of the primary vote, I'm toast. But if you can get thirty to forty percent of the vote in the primary, I can build off of that coalition 
and, and peel off an, and earn enough votes from your voters and some of these Scott Tipton voters to earn the trust of them to build this coalition and, and win. And well, what I, about I, Don Corum? What about Scott Tipton? What about Scott McGinnis, who's been a guest on my show not that long ago? They should step up and support you. Will they? You know, I, I will ask uh, with sincere hat in hand for, for their help and their support. It'll be up to them. And, you know, uh, any conversations we've had in private are going to stay that way. But um, I'd be honored to have everyone's support. I know that there's a lot of frustrated, um, high-profile and low-profile Republicans. Uh, and we will build a Republican for Adam. Uh, we'll be building um, miners for Adam and ranchers for Adam uh, and a, a variety of groups. It's going to be all hands on deck. And that's where this coalition building is going to happen. It's going to—it's what we need. I mean, I can't win without them. Um, but again, I, I think there are a chunk of corn voters that are sick and tired of being represented by an unrepresentative person, uh, and people just are sick and tired, uh, you know, again of the circus. Um, and it's the same way that Donald Trump lost that we're going to end up defeating Lauren Boebert. I think you can. And the nice thing that I heard from you is you are willing to go on any show, maybe even Steve Bannon. And you know what? You could handle him as long as it's live. I really think that you could. Yeah. And um, I, I think you should put that out there. Do you have anybody working on Fox News uh, contacts? Yeah, we have, we, we have media people helping us, um, trying to get our message out again. The reason why I think this is, you know, my focus is on the district right? Uh, about how to solve problems. But because she's such a national embarrassment and such a national disgrace and, sh and she's not focused on our district, um, we are spending time with the national media, letting them know that, again, at the start of this conversation, Craig, you have all these extremists running around D.C. And you have some extreme governors, you have some extreme senators, and you certainly have a lot of extremists in the House. And you put them all in a pile. And if you have a threshold of under 55%, Lone Bobart is uniquely qualified to be able to be defeated. With all respect to those that are running against Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, um, I, and you, could, you could say AOC as well. It's just not going to happen. You could spend $50 million uh, and you're not going to be able to move the needle. Lone Bobart is uniquely qualified to be defeated by a rational pro-business, pro-energy, um, proud dad. And that's going to happen in the western part of Colorado. And I'm super excited and honored to be carrying that mantle uh, alongside, not in front of, alongside of a lot of other really important people. Well, that's been a great conversation. And again, I'm picturing that big balloon of Trump and she, she kind of rode up with him, but I see the air coming out of that balloon and I see it collapsing right on top of her. She's tied at the hip. She goes to Mar-a-Lago. I think she has her own wine locker at Mar-a-Lago. Her restaurant's been closed. Is that fair game, the food poisoning at Shooter's Grill? Yeah, I mean, someone asked me, he goes, Adam, you, you've, been, you've been this big business person, and she's a business person. I'm like, um, she's a former business person. I think she's had four or five different businesses fail. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest um, indicators of her weakness is not only did she only get 51% of the vote, Greg, in 2020, she did not win her home county. Um, those that know her best do not care for her. And a lot more people know her now than before. And it, again, if you look at 
and we're trying to do the study, but if you look at the 870 people running for Congress now, how many lost their own county last year and how many could not even get two thirds of their own primary vote as to support her? I have a feeling she's in a very small group of people. And this goes back to this frustration that we all share that there's this assumption that loud equals strong and she's loud and weak and she's uniquely qualified as the only loud and weak candidate in the country. And that's why that's the focus that we're telling the national media about. You are going to win, Adam, and I can't thank you enough. You can come on anytime. Uh, I generally take the same attitude that I'll talk to anybody. I think that's refreshing. I think Western Colorado back in the day when we uh, in Denver had maybe really liberal people, I think people in Colorado thought, well, that that's extreme in Denver. But now I, I just never in my lifetime really worried about extremism on the Western Slope. And I'd like to go back to having a normal person of any political party represent and, and for America to get over this fever. And uh, I think you're the perfect guy. I, I thank you. I, I, I thank your family for going through this sacrifice because uh, it, it, it is a sacrifice. It's going to get yeah. more difficult. Are you all prepared for it? Um, we think we're prepared for it and we're planning to be prepared for it. You, you never know in today's, you know, again, it's one thing to have extreme policies, which is all part of some conversation. There's extremists and policies uh, on both sides of this aisle, if you will. Uh, there are those that have, have turned down something that's 95% good for their people, but they wanted to be known to go back to their primary voters. It's not the extremists and policies, it's the extremists and personality and the extremists and being anti-American and anti-democratic and anti-patriotic that I think is the problem. And no, we're very well aware that, um, you know, it, it's out there where we live uh, and everything else like that. And, you know, we're taking precautions to make sure of it. We're not going to be, we're not going to buckle down. I need to get out in front of people. The only way we're going to win is by having chance, having people have a chance to meet me in person and understand that, yes, I live in the mountains, but I truly understand what their family and their business and their communities are going through. And that's how I'm going to earn that social trust and social capital that, that I think is really important, especially from those that might not have voted for the same president or the same um, senators I have or same governor. And so we're going to work on that. But no, we're, you know, sadly, we're aware of it. Try not to focus on it too much. But we have these conversations with the family. And, you know, I'm not trying to be a martyr. I certainly better not become a martyr. I'm just here to try to stand up and do the right thing for the right reasons at the right time. And I think those things are going to line up well. And I think that I think the district will be rewarded. This is not about rewarding me. Um, it's about the district being rewarded with some normalcy. We can do better um, as a district, and we can do better as a country. And I want to do my little part to try to make that country a little bit better. Well, I think you can. I think you're strong and calm. And you chose that word angertainment for a reason, because that really is what Lauren Boebert and people like that are trading on. Anger. They're just trying to get people worked up and blame others and divide people. Yeah. Seems to me you are the total opposite of that. That word, it bothers you what she's doing, stirring up anger, right? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, again, people have a right to be incredibly frustrated, disappointed, pissed off to call it, especially the people that are out here in rural Colorado, um, those without the highest education, 
those that work in some of these industries, which are sadly being ridiculed by those on the far left uh, with the loudest voices, especially once they get spun through Fox News. And I'm not here to demean anybody. And, you know, that deplorable comment um, that was made by someone a long time ago of, of, of power of substance really set rule America off. And so they have a right to be upset um, about is the Democratic Party or is anybody really looking after them? But I really think they want people to focus on their issues, not just firing up some kind of base level uh, of anger. And I'd rather turn that anger into power and, and turn that power into revitalizing some of these some of these towns and communities um, and making sure that there is a, a good transition. Again, when we come out of this again, you know, the unemployment rate at three and a half percent is great. What's not great and what's underneath the radar as when people used to be making 60 bucks an hour are now making $17 an hour doing roughly the same type of skill set. They don't need edu- more education. They don't need more job training. They just need a job that pays well. And, you know, there's something to be said when you used to be making $90,000 a year to making $37,000 a year and doing the same thing. And the fact that not enough people realize that in Denver and not enough people realize that in D.C., I appreciate that they're frustrated. I just, I just... It does not have to become mean and petty, and it doesn't have to be scary to a lot of people and and, and accumulate with January 6th type of insurrection. Yeah, that was an atrocity. And uh, again, I blame Lauren Boebert, but you don't have to go there. You've given me a great amount of time, a wonderful conversation. I think you are going to win and uh, represent Colorado well. We've been embarrassed by Lauren Boebert, honestly. Um, It's a shame for Colorado to have her as a face of of Colorado, given uh, her divisiveness. I don't like it either. But I like you, Adam. Good luck to you on the trail. Thanks for your time, and let's stay in touch, okay? Craig, have a great weekend, and thank you so much for focusing on real issues for real America. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, 
Craig as ColoradoLaw.com. Craig's ColoradoLaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, welcome to another edition of Right Wing Media Watch. Right Wing Media Watch. Boy, it gives me no great pleasure to feature my old radio partner, Dan Kaplis, in this segment, but I listen to him. Haven't for a while, but that's because I have a mini commute now. And uh, I'm not in the car in the afternoon for that long, but I got stuck in traffic coming back from Jefferson County Court on Wednesday. And uh, boy, I'm glad I don't have to go out on I-25 and 6th Avenue that much in rush hour, but I was. And it was before the 5 o'clock hour, and I switched on Dan, and there he was on a very important day. Mar-a-Lago had been raided on Monday. This was Wednesday already. Nothing had been said, but Dan and had to say something, and say something he did, and it caught my attention, and I bet it will yours, as he discusses his attitude toward not only the raid, but the fact that Donald Trump earlier that day had pled the fifth to every one of hundreds of questions following his name. Now, the Fifth Amendment is there for people to utilize if their testimony will honestly incriminate them in a crime. You cannot, for obvious reasons, say, hey, I'm not going to answer your question because I don't like you, Mr. Lawyer or Mrs. Lawyer or whatever. Lawyer with no pronouns. The bottom line is you don't get to have a system of justice if the person being asked the questions has to approve the questioner or anybody who might review the question. So I was a little taken aback when Dan said, hey, that's good on you, Donald. It is good because he would incriminate himself in crimes, but you can't say no because you don't like the prosecutor. Here's Dan Kaplis. Let's get back to this really scary stuff of the day. The raid on the former president, still no word from DOJ. The left starting to get crazy, pressuring DOJ. Hey, show them what you got. You must have something big, right? Show them what you got. And each minute that passes without the DOJ saying it is freaking the left out because they're starting to think, oh, maybe they don't have it. And if they don't have it, they've just handed Trump the presidency, right? So do they have it or not? If they do, we haven't seen it yet. 855-405-8255. The president taking the fifth as well. Right or wrong, will that help or hurt him? I'm already on record as saying, given the highly politicized attorney general of New York, who is clearly trying to use this deposition to take him down, I I think he did the right thing by not playing into her hands and, and letting her try to create some fake perjury trap. So there you go, a fake perjury trap. First of all, you don't see that many people prosecuted for perjury. Two, I suppose you could always refuse to testify for fear that the lawyer is maybe has a DA friend. Hey, 
I'm afraid you are going to twist my testimony, take it to George Brockler, John Kellner, and you are going to get me charged with perjury. So I'm not, I'm going to plead the fifth in this auto accident case. I don't know. It's a strange new world. Strange to hear a lawyer support that kind of thing, but terrible the demise of talk radio where there is nothing but ditto calling and Poor Dan, his show is beset by callers who are so right-wing, even Dan has to hang up on them pretty quickly, but he does it politely, and he thanks them for the call, and every once in a while, there's somebody who's sensible who calls in, and I happen to hear one, and his name was Mike. Holy cow, listen to this, from Wednesday afternoon. Mike in Denver, you're on the Dan Kaplan Show. Welcome. Hey, Dan. Um, I wanted to throw something out there i uh i don't want this to turn into a dead you know like my side versus you know other people's side type of discussion but i wanted to throw something out there um so i'm i'm not going to defend any democrats i think they're you know like as far as i'm concerned there's just no one seems to be immune from like totally stooping to pretty low depths um, but i did want to follow up on a discussion the other day i called about and i think I got a little cut off before um, the what I would the point I wanted to make, and you were talking about the Alex Jones trial, and uh, I had drawn a parallel to the um, the you know election big steal narrative and how that you know you were rightfully so being pretty hard on Alex Jones about misinformation and the damages, mm-hmm. and then you know when I had mentioned Trump and the election big steal, you you know you'd don't speak favorably of that, but you kind of defend it because, like, the Democrats started it with Hillary not conceding the election or something like that. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I, but I don't want to misquote you. Like, what, what yeah. was your well? Well, first, Mike, in, in terms of cutting you off, I did everything short of proposing to you. I mean, I, I, I gave you, I think, uh, as much time as you wanted. But that aside, my friend, um, in terms of the president's allegation that the election was stolen, I've been perfectly consistent at every turn. I think I've been the very best on air on this. And it's been, hey, you know, this is an evidence-based show. It should be an evidence-based nation. Where is the proof that the election was stolen? I haven't seen it. And short of seeing it, we, we must, we owe it to the country uh, to take the, the view that Biden is the duly elected president. I've been perfectly consistent while also recognizing there are very fair questions about the nature and extent of the fraud, which remain unanswered. So is there anything about that answer you think is lacking in any way? Gosh, that's bothersome because you can't have it both ways. Dan, you just said there are very fair questions about the fraud and the quantity. And no, they're not fair questions. That's the big lie, and you put it on with Jenna Ellis, and you've kept doing it. So you can be, what, press secretary for Donald Trump in his second administration? Ain't going to happen. And this guy has great question. I'd like to hear the answer to it. Donald Trump is responsible for January 6th, and Alex Jones' comparison's a good one. So I'm hoping you are going to answer as this call progresses. But my goodness, this stuff, I'm the very best at being consistent or 
I'm the best questioner in the world, the most objective person. Come on, dude. You got Mike Lindell sponsoring your show. Steve Bannon comes on, pushes gold. Joe Paggs is promoing uh, Roger Stone coming up. These are all the grifters. This is Trump Station, and you're fitting in perfectly. And it's sad because I used to work there. And there used to be conversations with people who had good thoughts like Mike. What is Mike saying that's so wrong? Let's find out. Let's keep going with the call. After all, I know they're going to have a good conversation because Dan keeps calling Mike my friend. My friend. My friend. Let's see how these two friends keep going. Well, I guess the the thing that I thought kind of happened was I tried to enter into it really not um, kind of tit for tat. And then, you know, we went back and forth a little. And then I, when I say cut off, it was just like the, I was, you know, just cut off. But what I was going to say when you were kind of saying, well, the Democrats started it. So, you know, no, no, I, uh, but, but I, I want the record to be clear, my friend. Uh, first, I never said that because the Democrats, which they did, you agreed, denied the outcome of the 2016 election with no evidence to support them. They were election deniers and they hurt this country deeply and they were fundamentally unfair to Donald Trump by denying the outcome of that election. Do you agree with that? I agree that there was, you know, certainly politics at play. No, 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 no. Come on. Don't waste our time with that. No, no. Don't waste our time. Do you agree the Democrats denied the outcome of the 2016 election? Um, I mean, not in the way that I feel like you're trying okay. to draw the parallel. All right, All right. well, then you're, you're on the record then. That's fine. That's fine. And people can okay, evaluate well, you that way. That's know, that's fine. So what new point I do you want to make? Because we're kind of living in the past. Jeez, that's not very nice. And this stuff about being fundamentally fair or unfair, Dan kept talking about coups against Trump. That's what he labeled impeachment one, and maybe even impeachment too, but it really was unfortunate. And yeah, there were questions in 2016, but nothing like this. Come on, Dan, this guy's asking good questions. Let it keep going. I want to hear you address his good question. Well, I, you know, for, in due fairness, I think by you saying that, you know, like, well, the Democrats did this, so therefore I kind of stand I by Trump did no matter not. what. No, garbage, man. Gar- Stop this. You are up. Almost said it, Ryan. I've never used the F word on air. You are a liar. You are a liar. I never said that. I but, said the opposite. Get out of here. Garbage. Trash. What a liar. We give him all that airtime. And I said the exact opposite before. I said, I said, no. The fact that the Democrats denied the election outcome no that doesn't give us the right to do that not at all but be honest about the fact they denied it so why would he after all the time we've given him why would he call this show and lie like that well let me because just... you know why you, you go ahead holy cow that's his producer ryan coming in to help i am so glad i was not in that studio come on This is the problem in the world. You have to be able to have a conversation. And the fact that Trump is caught up with culpability for the big lie and so much more, as will be revealed in Mar-a-Lago, but you can't take it out on Mike. He's just a caller. That was ridiculous. 
And for you to say that, oh, I'm the best interviewer, the best this, the best that, the best at paying for a radio show that you get to be on, congratulations on the success that lets you purchase afternoon drive time. But holy cow, that's not a fair discussion. And nobody's going to go on a show like that. And Dan, I've invited you on my show. You said we couldn't talk about Kyle Clark. But that's part of the story. And congrats to Kyle Clark and Nine News for winning a big award. And you say Jared Polis won't come on any place. He's going to get difficult questions. Well, you know what? Kyle Clark and Marshall Zellinger, they asked tough questions of Jared Polis. So did I. I asked him tough questions. I asked Heidi Ganahl tough questions about her going on Steve Bannon. Have you ever asked her about that? Where does she draw the line? No. Come on, man. The public airwaves are being used for this, and you're on in Pueblo, where Lauren Boebert is on the ballot, and you're supporting Lauren Boebert over a good man like Adam Frisch? No, I got to call that out. That's why I have this podcast. You know, there's that uh, show Knowledge Fights, where those guys monitor Alex Jones. They were on Brian Stelter. They're good, and it's entertaining because you have to hear some of this stuff to believe it, don't you? Let's keep going. What was said by Ryan to try to save Dan? Ryan, the guy who says uh, he calls Michigan his home. He's lived in Colorado for a while, but he wants to go back to Michigan, and I wouldn't mind because I hear they have great militias out there because this guy... He will apologize for anything that Trump does or Dan does or who's the guy he hosts with earlier in the day. Anyway, I've seen producers with ambitions, and his politics are not mine. His are scary. I remember when Dan said, oh, he's a moderate. He doesn't want to be on the air. Come on. Ryan Schuling, you want to be on the air? You want to be a star? That's okay. I just don't like your politics. Really don't. Really don't. Let's go back to the tape, as they say. Ryan, what do you have to say to rescue Dan today? I'm going to summarize this very quickly. If somebody were asking me off the street, hey, does Trump deny the result of the 2020 election? I would say, of course he does. Of course he does, and I don't necessarily agree with everything he's saying. He will not even admit, narrow it further in than Democrats. Hillary Clinton herself does not acknowledge that Trump won the 2016 election. She still alleges to this day there was Russian collusion and interference that helped him win. So the fact that he won't even acknowledge that point, he doesn't get to have a a voice in the conversation. No, but, but what makes me so mad, Ryan, is that he knew he was lying. He knew he was lying. And he knew I had said the opposite. And yet he was trying to somehow get me to agree that, oh, yeah, because the Democrats denied the outcome, it would be okay for Trump to. I've said the opposite. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff that really ticks me off. Airtime is valuable. We have all these people who want to talk. But this is typical of the left, right? They cannot win on the facts. The truth destroys the left. So they have to lie and cheat over and over and over again. And I offer you Exhibit A, our last caller. 855-405-8255, the number Hey, lots coming up, and we'll get to other callers after the break. I'm sorry that your time was chewed up by by that liar. Holy cow. Did Mike deserve that pummeling? 
that he was a liar, Exhibit A, seems to me that certain truths are self-evident. The dog has caught the car when it comes to abortion and the abortion madness. It's kind of like the reefer madness. It's not popular with the people. Dan said Colorado would repeal legalization of marijuana. He said other states would never follow. Then he said once abortion was on the ballot, it would be great, but not really for Republicans. It's going to backfire. Kansas proved that. And you know what? Politics is all okay. We can discuss abortion and policy and this and that. And a lot of us sometimes are wrong in our predictions, but I just don't like racism. I don't like anti-Semitism. I don't like bullying. And I'm going to stand up to it. Because every time I hear globalists, the left, Wiser, Polis, Griswold, Soros, Zuckerberg, who they like to call Zuckerbucks, I just, I get, I just get a little tingly feeling that my parents instilled in me about why is everything sort of aimed at these Jewish people? Jared Polis, rich, money-grubbing, never worked hard. He's, he's manipulative. Every slur that I hear, it bothers me. And against Phil Weiser, too. As Jews, we are proud of Jewish candidates. I'm proud that Colorado will elect Jenna and Phil and Jared. And most people don't care about them being Jewish, but some people seem to. And you can say, oh, well, there's no racism anywhere in America or in Colorado. Come on. Come on. There is. And when there's racism, there's anti-Semitism. Usually the same people who are worried and they form white supremacy groups or they align with that or they don't call that shit out. Or the president who tells the Proud Boys to stand by and then he used him. And that Proud Boy shot at the FBI, and where are those crime guys, the law enforcement types, the people who say, yeah, my dad was a cop for 30 years, or I was a DA for this long, where are they when the FBI and every institution is being attacked thanks to a crook, a corrupt guy named Donald Trump? Gosh, Donald Trump has really revealed some people. And Dan Kaplis, when you keep talking shit about Phil Weiser and Jared Polis day after day and contend that they want to kill babies and they want to damage churches, damn it, man, what are you saying? Listen to how you ended this very bizarre, terrible segment of right-wing media. When we come back, when we come back, I want to cover a lot of things, including, and, and we'll stay on Trump largely right or wrong to take the fifth. I explain why I think he was right to. And uh, why do you think DOJ hasn't said anything about the raid? Where do you think it's going from here? But I also want to ask you, at this point, do you think it's pretty clear that, that Jared Polis and Phil Weiser are implicitly encouraging violence against Catholic churches in Colorado? We just had another one shot up. Have you heard from Polis? Have you heard from Weiser? 451, I'll give you the details on that. You're on the Dan Kaplis Show. 
I shake my head. And I just wish that we could get along better. And I wanted you to hear that because this is what they're hearing in Pueblo. And this is what Afternoon Drive Radio sounds like in the Trump era, the post-Trump era. I don't know. It's not good. It's not right. Anybody who would agree with that kind of authoritarian presentation probably would support an authoritarian regime, and that that's a lot of people. And Dan Kaplis is a community leader, and George Brockler, who won't even say boo against Donald Trump, really. He avoids this subject as much as he can, but this is part of the problem. When the media lays down or just goes after Joe Biden, oh my God, the things Dan Kaplan says about Joe Biden, he said he's decrepit. That's not nice. Anyway, that's what it's gotten to. I hope you enjoyed this latest installment of Right Wing Media Watch. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like, I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep. And I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887. Or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey. Thank you. Hey, I have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's Attitude Mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at craigscoloradolaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at Craig's Colorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Troubadour, this truly is a special weekend. It was a big week, Craig. Let's get into it. This is my mountain weekend. I rarely have that many mountain experiences other than looking at them, but you want to hear my three mountain experiences? Go ahead. We went to Red Rocks. You were there, 
Bonnie Raitt. I'm calling that a mountain experience Thursday night. I just interviewed Adam Frisch. He lives in Aspen, Pitkin County. That's mountain experience. And I'm going up to Grand County to check out the Gunders. What is it? Casa? Cabin. Cabin? Okay. And so that's three mountain experiences. Thanks for last night. It was great going. I like Bonnie Raitt. I like Mavis Staples, but I like to watch you when guitar guys get together because it just brings joy to you. Every song she brought out a different guitar. You seem to like that. Oh yeah, I've seen I've seen people bring out more, but Bonnie, you know, she, yeah, she she had different guitars. She plays slides, so I think some of her slides are probably in a different tuning, but. Um, she was great, and so was Mavis Stables, and it was great being with you and Trish. You're the ones that I need to give thanks to because because you guys scored the tickets. Well, we did do that. Red Rocks was spectacular. Now, how about the moon coming up? We talk about the moon all the time, but you kind of disappointed me because I looked back, and we were pretty darn low. What was it, 14th row? 14th, That's pretty low. Like some of the best tickets I've ever had at Red Rocks. Right. And and I looked back up, I thought, I'd like to address a crowd right here on that stage. And you said, no, forget about it, Craig. It's not happening. I said, well, that hurt my feelings. But then I said, what about you? You should be on that stage. What song would you play? And usually you're so facile. I've given you 24 hours, one would you play Red Rocks, and what would you sing? If they invited me to play Red Rocks, I actually have thought about it. And um, I think what I would probably play is playing that Zydeco. I disagree. Well, just hold on, and let me tell you why. I'm not saying it's it's the most, you know, this or that. I'm not saying it's my best song, although I like it. It's a great song. It's, it's, it's an uplifting, fun song, and I think... People would, and it has a singable chorus, so that's why I would do it. I would want to bring that kind of happiness to the people. Yeah, so, people yeah, would be dancing it, in their seats. It's upbeat. Yeah. So, so that's the one I would choose. Could I suggest the song for today that's perfect for our show, Regrets, which is kill it, Red Rocks? Well, yeah, but it's a somber song. I wouldn't want to get up if I had one song. You said if you just had one song. To go up and do Regrets, no, no. no, no it, that, right, yeah, okay. Yeah. But this could be one, like your encore. Because it's so good, and there's so... Who is singing in the background here? Becca, right? Her name's Becca. Um, Rivka. She goes by both, yes, Rivka. She lived in Israel for some time. Becca. Rivka Ro- Ro- yeah. in Hebrew means Rebecca, so Becca, Yes, right? Rothstein, she's a wonderful singer. And I mean, Rothstein in yeah. Jewish means Rothstein. You're a Jew, <laughs> right. It means Rothstein, and uh, if, if people hang out to near the end of that song, she is amazing at the end, vamping in a, such a soulful way. Well, why wouldn't they hang on? I'm putting it toward the end, but everybody should listen because this is, you're right, it's a closing act sort of song, and then you do an upbeat number, you take your bows, but this would kill it, Red Rocks. They'd be putting their lighters on, and the crowd, (laughs) I'm telling you, what were you thinking about when you sang this song? Because it's perfect for this glorious week. I'm thinking about Donald Trump and all the regrets that he has about this Stupid moves he made, bringing that shit to Mar-a-Lago, thinking he could get away with anything. And now he's made so many mistakes, and I think he's going to go to prison. I do. He's got to be prosecuted, and it's 
Have you followed the news today? We're late on a Friday. No, I haven't listened to the news. You know, I you, you, you told me you'd like the idea of regrets for Donald Trump. I told you that I thought Donald Trump was a stranger to the concept of regret. Right, but think about this. Because somebody on Fifth Avenue said, he, you remember his famous phrase, I could shoot a guy on Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. and people would still support me? Right. No. Yeah, they all, he was right. Right, and you're yeah. lying in your song, shoot them and they all fall down or yeah, they don't or fall down. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, you've got a sh- you've got several shootings in there, but can he commit espionage against America, and no one will react to that? I have to think there's going to peel away even some of his ardent supporters. I, th- I they're think, getting you know, less ardent. Uh, it's great that you're optimistic. I m- my you know. Uh, my Let per- me tell you what happened. He, he he's slithered out of everything so far. But they have 12 boxes of evidence, and you know what his defense is? They planted shit on me. Of course. Oh. Predictable. Yeah. Right, Total, but that's like the yeah. last defense, because apparently you cannot declassify nuclear codes. I told you at Red Rocks, yes, I looked at Twitter. It's a historic night, and then you slap it out of my hand, and you almost broke my phone. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't need to worship I'm sorry Bonnie I didn't. Like, yeah. I'm sorry I didn't. Here you are on your phone. Bonnie Raitt singing her heart out. You're checking CNN news. Honestly, I had to almost get Trish to turn away when you seemed like you were going to have some sort of, I don't know, overexcitement when the three guitar players got together and started ripping like that. I mean, what was that? I've never seen a look like that on a man's face. It looked like you were about to do something. I mean, why do you get so excited? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. Well, not in particular when there's guitars three playing. But no, I mean, all wah, of that wah, wah, music. And they were playing, yeah, ripping I with feel each it. other. Yes. I feel it. It's in me. It's in me. It's the music, you know, and... Uh, I, I can't help it. That's what that's what keeps me going. I love I love hearing great music. And when it's heartfelt, you know, when it's not being called in, it's not formulaic, it's the real thing. It's the real stuff. And Mavis Staples, man, she she can deliver. It was like gospel. Like that was the, beautiful. Yeah. It was like yeah. It was right. it was and like the, prayer. And they were so excited to be there because of COVID and uh, I think I'm okay today. We were with a lot of people jammed together. Such a schlep at Red Rocks, but it's still, what a glorious night. I had a good time. But you want to know why else your song is perfect for Trump? Let's hear. You have a line in there about following my greed. Yeah. I think he took that stuff to sell it to the highest bidder and to shake down people for money. Uh, Maybe a future Trump library at the top of Trump Tower. Do Do you think that guy could ever seek redemption? I don't think he ever be can. Ni- nice to see. It would be nice to see him get to that point. Holy but, but, cow. And the, the people who are around him. I had an Adam Frisch on. Talk about a smart, accomplished Jewish man in his early 50s. He's made a lot of money. Went to see you like you did. He actually grew up in Minnesota. He's got a 16-year-old kid, his boy named Felix. Felix Frisch, that's mm-hmm. a cool name, mm-hmm. and he likes politics, and he's mm-hmm. riding around with his dad. If he's 16, he can drive. Anyway, they, they have a huge district out there in western Colorado, and boy, I'd like to see him beat Lauren Boebert. And if Trump goes down, she goes down. You see what I mean? After Watergate, 
the Democrats really swept the next election. Do you remember that? Of course you do. You, you're older than me. I remember it well. I also remember that it was the that the Republicans also jumped ship, uh, you know, with with, right. with Nixon, and uh, that 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 has thus far has not happened. Like you say, if Trump goes down, we'll see other people as well. But uh, you know, I, I'm I'm waiting, watching. Let's see what this let's see what this raid turns up. And everybody on the air, and uh, I, I'm playing an episode of Dan Kaplan's from Wednesday when he was still all on Trump's side. I haven't listened today. I think on Thursday, his audience was starting to turn toward Ron DeSantis. But it's not just politicians you have to monitor. I knew Jesse Waters pretty well. I've had him on my show a couple of times. Now he's taken over with a, his own show on Fox. And oh, my God, tonight... Friday night, it's all Mar-a-Lago madness. He's full MAGA saying, what about Hillary? This is nothing. The government prepared these documents to give to the president, and so he takes them to his private office. Who cares? It's that. So it's kind of a mix of defenses. Well, they planted stuff. No, he had a right to it. He declassified it. Well, you can't declassify nuclear stuff. They're all over the place. But I I see this headed toward a prosecution, and it was probable cause for destroying evidence, for obstructing uh, investigations, and the biggie, espionage against America. And you know what? You know who was convicted? You know who were convicted of nuclear right. violations on behalf of a foreign country? Remember? Right, yes. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg? Yes, yeah, in the 50s. You remember what happened to them? They were executed, weren't yes. they? Yes. And you remember who their prosecutor was? Was it? It was uh, Roy Cohn. Oh, right. That's Trump's right. Trump's lawyer. Yep, that's right. That's why I say, what a world, what a life, what a day. I think things are accelerating, Dave Gunders. And I think there's a chance that before we get to episode 112, no way. What what episode? Where we're are we 109 now? now? Okay, we're at 109. Okay, so three weeks. Hence, what's I your prediction? Know. Come I on, just, let's hear it. I see, uh, I, I think that uh, we're going to find out that there's people inside who are turning against Trump. I think Mark Meadows is a possibility. I mean, mm-hmm. look at this. They, and then this Congressman Scott Perry, his phone got seized. They have John Eastman's phone. Now they have Mar-a-Lago records. I think the January 6th committee comes back in September, delivers even more startling revelations. You had this proud boy commit violence in the name of Trump. They keep stirring it up. That's the worst thing. How much more... Because... Listen to what Trump's saying. He's saying the FBI is planting evidence against me. And so his followers think, shit, you know, if if somebody was planting evidence against my loved one, I'd be pissed. You know, you get people worked up when you make accusations. They stole the election. Yeah, people get worked up. Well, it's an outlandish act. I mean, first of all, there was he he didn't even there he he said that before there was even anything was even retrieved or uh, or that he was, you know, there was any claim um, of of any particular evidence. It, the same way, the same way he predicted that the election was fraudulent before right. it even happened. Right. In fact, he did that in 2016. Right, but it gets people yeah, worked yeah, up. Yeah. It's like saying, "Hey, this guy's screwing your wife." What? 
yeah, you're, you're going to get people worked up. They're stealing the country. They're killing your babies. They're doing, it's all a fear factor. The key is, will he ever have regrets about it? Episode 109 has turned into one of the best, and it's going to end with one of the best songs ever. You're going to play Zydeco. It's going to be part. You're going to have, what did Mavis get, like four songs? You'll take four songs at Red Rocks. I think you should open for Bonnie Raitt next time. Thank you. You and the Vipers, seriously. And we're going to have Zydeco. We're going to have, we, we have to play 4th of July. All right, we'll play 4th of July. And then we'll come back with regrets. All right, sounds like you're working your way into my management. Well, I, well, I want to get on this stage just, you know, I watched her with that tambourine. I think I could do that. You'd be off, t- you'd be off tempo, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it wouldn't be ruinous. It wouldn't be ruinous. Well, they they would I'd turn be, off your microphone. I, can I just say, ladies and gentlemen, the troubadour, Dave Gunder. I would like that. All right. Listen to his song here, and you will realize this is possible. Becca Rothstein, she's great on this. Give a listen. Regrets by our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig. I've been awake so long, I can barely see you. The future was here for me before I surrendered. Looking behind me now Wishing I could change things Longing don't rearrange things So I remember These regrets ain't through with me yet They bring me to my knees Oh, never gonna let me be Can't find no remedy But they don't fall down Regrets Regrets Put me inside that same sad situation Tomorrow comes but it's gray Times I turned away Following my greed Show no sympathy Puts me in limbo now Searching for redemption Things I don't want to mention They don't let me be
Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, I told you that would be a great show. And... I was right. Adam Frisch, thanks so much. I knew you when, before you became a congressman. Thanks for doing my show, giving me such a quality interview. Troubadour Dave Gunders, as always, you deliver regrets. That's got to be on your set at Red Rocks. Thank you for listening. Thank you for episode 109. Stay tuned for episode 110. God willing, every Saturday morning, tell a friend, Five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, where you can play me three times fast. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.